Let me pray for us. Father God, we come to you this morning uh, in a variety of places. We come to you this morning, Lord, uh, excited for Christmas. Some of us are excited uh, for this coming week and the festivities that it holds. God, some of us come to you this morning, come to this place just feeling a deep, deep sense of loss. Uh, God, for, for some, this week brings out uh, the reality of those who are not with us to celebrate this great time. God, I pray for comfort. I pray for peace. I pray for joy. God, that only you can offer. Lord, I know that as a community, as a church community, we are suffering much loss this year. God, my heart is broken like many of our hearts are broken. And God, I pray that, I pray that you would heal us, that you would allow us to grieve, uh, to, to find in you some, some reality of, of peace and, and hope, God, that we're just having a hard time seeing. Lord, as we turn to your word now, God, would you open our minds and our hearts to see your truth? God, would you allow us to be comforted? Would you allow us to be encouraged? God, would you call us into deeper community with you and with one another? God, as we grow in unity as a church body, as we grow in, in unity as, as your body, God, we need you now more than ever. God, would you meet us here? Would you be with us? God, would you speak through me, allow your words to be heard, not my own? God, would you be made glorious uh, in and through this sermon? In Jesus' name, amen. Would you please have a seat? So, a, a man might walk into a church like ours. Uh, a man might walk into a church, and maybe it's the first time in a long time. Or, or maybe it just feels like it's been a while for this man, and, and he walks into the church knowing that he has some, some issues, knowing that he has some things that need to be worked on, knowing that he has some things in his life that aren't quite engaging, aren't quite working right. It, it, it feels like there's, uh, there's too much friction in his life right now, so he, he comes into church. And, and he's hoping to get some answers. He's hoping to get a little bit of help. He figures the church ought to be able to help with this sort of thing, right? Based on what I'm going through and how I want to grow and how I want to improve, church seems like the right place to go. He agrees with the morals of the church. Uh, th this is a place where people uh, encourage moral living, you know, right living, and, and that's agreeable. He says, yeah, this, this seems like, like the right place for some answers. He thinks they should have some tips and some tricks for me, right? Ways in which I can uh, better my life, improve myself, improve my family, my relationship with my wife, my kids, improve uh, the relationship I have 
with coworkers, with my boss, with my employees. He thinks, what I need is, you know, I've seen some of those Christians, some of them seem to have some things put together, not all of them, but some of them seem to have some things going in the right direction. I want what they've got. I want to know how they're doing, you know, is, is, it, is it all about making your bed first thing when you get up? Like, is that, I've heard that makes people successful. Uh, I, I wouldn't know. <laughs> I haven't tried that one personally. Uh, you know, so, but, you know, something like that. If, if I could just get the right tip, the right trick, the right method, then these things will go better in my life. So then he sits down, and the church service starts. They sing some songs, and somebody gets up, and they read a passage, and they read Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, just like we read. And he's disappointed. He's disappointed because they stopped too early, right? They're, they're reading, and, and he is, he's, he's identifying with this, be humble, gentle, patient, bear with one another. Yeah, yeah, that's the stuff I need to grow in. That's the stuff I'm struggling with. I'm, I'm having a hard time with humility. I'm, I'm having a hard time being patient. Uh, or, or maybe he says, I'm, I'm really good at humility. Uh, I'm having a hard time being patient, though. <laughs> right? uh, and and, and I, I'm, I'm not bearing with one another. I get frustrated by people. Uh, so that I, I need help in those things. But then the passage stops. And he goes, well, where's the how? I'm looking for the how. And so as the pastor gets up and starts telling some random story that uh, may or may not connect with the rest of the message later, he skims ahead, right? He skims ahead a little bit, and, and he sees this, this stuff about one God and one Father and one church and this unity stuff, but, but not the how that he's looking for. He's not finding, well, how do I improve in these areas in my life? And thinks, well, if perhaps the Bible is lacking, then maybe the pastor will uh, fill in where the Bible left off. And, and I'll tell you that I have nothing to fill in where the Bible does not speak. So we, we won't be finding that uh, today. Oh, dang it. Um, I, I, how can I speak anything but what is, is here in the Scriptures? Uh, what Paul says in this passage is actually more helpful than it might look at first glance. Right? What Paul says and what I will repeat is not that you lack the methods to grow in humility and patience, not that you lack the, the tips and tricks for bearing with one another to be gentle with those around you in your life. It, it, it's, it's not breathing exercises that I can give you, right? There's not, I'm, I'm not going to tell you, well, if you get angry, in order to be gentle, rather than replying harshly, you just need to count in your head before you respond, right? Listen, I'm, I've been in the world, I've met some people, there aren't numbers high enough to count to to deal with some people, okay? There just aren't numbers high enough. Uh, and so that, that's not going to be helpful. We, it's, it's more a matter, not of tips and tricks, but it, it's, it's a power source thing, Right? It, it's, a, it's a matter of, of what it is that's working in us and out of us. It's what are we filled with so that when pressure comes, what comes out of us? Somebody used as an example, a, a pastor friend of mine wants uh, a sponge, right? If a, if a sponge is full of dirty water, you use it to clean up the floor or something, and you apply pressure to the sponge, what comes out? 
dirty water, right? But if the sponge is filled with clean, soapy water and you apply pressure, what comes out? Clean, soapy water, right? We, we are like a sponge, right? And under pressure, something comes out. Well, what comes out is, is the same thing that we're filled up with, right? It, it's a power source thing. It's, it's what we're filled with. Uh, what, what we need is, is not tips, but it's, it's a shift in reality. We need, to, we need to change what we believe. We need to change... Uh, how we know Christ and, and we need to know him deeper, I will argue, uh, and, and Paul argues, we need to know him deeper and believe more deeply in the things that he has for us. So let's get right into it. We're called here in this passage now, remember, Paul, and Tim set us up last week with this, as we move from the first three chapters of Ephesians into the following chapters, four and beyond, what we have is a shift where Paul has, has been primarily dealing with doctrine. He's been primarily dealing with uh, what we believe. And now he's going to shift and start talking about how we act. How we walk is, is a term that Paul loves to use. This is the, the Christian walk. It is, it is active. It is step by step, day by day, uh, how we live this thing out. Now, it doesn't fully break down that cleanly, right? There are doctrine uh, issues that we will address in the coming chapters, and, and there's some practice even in the first three. So it's not super clean, but generally speaking, that's what Paul has done. He's set up doctrine. Now he's going to set up practice. And, and as we get into this, he, he launches in with this uh, walk in a manner. This is verse 1. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Walk in a manner worthy. The, the, the original word here written in Greek would have this sense of equal weight, right? If you are uh, putting something on the scales, we, we would, we would want to see an equal weight, that, that the way we're walking is equal to, it's as weighty as the calling to which we've been called. You understand? So that, that's what Paul's saying here to us. Walk in a manner that's worthy or equal or or, uh, you know, lives up to the calling by which we are called. We are called Christians. Uh, this is from, from Matthew Henry. We are called Christians. We must answer that name and live like Christians. We are called to God's kingdom and glory. That kingdom and glory, therefore, we must mind and walk as becomes the heirs of them. Right? We have learned in the first three chapters that we are, we are heirs. We are family members. We are uh, uh, you know, together in this as heirs of the kingdom of God, how ought we to act? Does the reality of our position as heirs to the kingdom of God affect the way we live? Absolutely it should. And, and I know we've said this many, many times and so I probably don't even need to say it. You're all with me in this. Uh, but I, I fear that we may have somebody new joining us who, who maybe has not heard this before, but it needs to be crystal clear. Paul is crystal clear on this uh, over and over and over. Jesus is crystal clear on this over and over and over. It is not that we act in a certain way to become heirs of the kingdom of God, but we are made heirs by grace through faith. We are made heirs by what Jesus has done. That work is all of him. And then we are called to live and act in a certain way. So I just want to make sure we're crystal clear, right? As we talk about 
walking like a Christian. This is not the way by which we justify ourselves or find ourselves to be in God's good graces. No, we find ourselves there first. Simply believing in Jesus, we're found to be heirs of the kingdom of God. But as heirs, we ought to behave in a certain way. Right? Maybe you've said this to your kids. Maybe you've heard this from your parents. Right? But when you're out in public, you're representing not just yourself, but your family. Right? Why am I so horrified when my kid starts kicking or screaming in the grocery store? It, well, it's, it's not because of how it makes them look. It's because of how it makes me look. Right? They're representing my kingdom, my, my little kingdom here, me in the shopping cart. And, and it's not being represented very well. People are going to see my kid kicking and screaming in the, in the grocery store and say, that man's a terrible parent, right? And they'd probably be right, uh, just to be, while well, we're getting things out in the open here, right? So uh, my, my child is, and I've had this conversation, when we're out in public, the way you behave, it reflects on me, it reflects on the family, it reflects on, on our little kingdom. I wouldn't use those words with my kids. But uh, th that's kind of what we're talking about. That's what we're saying. So as Christians, now as followers of Jesus, we are heirs to the kingdom. And the way in which we act, the way in which we behave, it reflects on the kingdom. Does it reflect appropriately? Or are we acting in a way that, that reflects poorly on our Father? That reflects poorly on the kingdom? That would give people a misunderstanding about what the kingdom is all about? That's what Paul is calling us to. Walk in a manner worthy as weighty as the calling to which you've been called. He goes on to say that, that we're to maintain unity. He, he really breaks us down into unity here in, in chapter 4, and then later on in the book he's going to talk about purity. Uh, but he, he's going to go on to talk about unity in the faith. He has this, this new church uh, planted just a, a short time before this letter is written. Uh, and, and, you know, they're dealing with a lot of different people coming from a lot of different walks of life. We have both... Jews and Greeks together. These are people that didn't normally hang out, didn't normally spend time together, and he's calling them to unity. This is appropriate for heirs of the kingdom of God, and that has some application to us. The, the problem is, and that all sounds very good, right? Uh, walk in a manner worthy of the calling, with humility and gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, but then there's a problem, namely us, right? People, we, we get in the way we fail to live up to this calling in a lot of different ways. As a church, we fail in, in, in culture and society that, that these ideas of humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, maintaining unity, these are not things that necessarily come naturally to us uh, at all, the, the differences that we have separate us. Unity is not natural, but separation seems more natural, right? We see a, a lot of this outside the church. We see this inside the church as well. And, and humility, we, we, completely, uh, we completely struggle with humility. Um, in, in the first century Roman culture, humility was not a virtue, Right? Humility was, was something for the servants, uh, the, the lower class, right? But those of any significance, uh, to be humble wasn't something that was a virtue. This isn't something you would strive to. And so you can see how shocking these words are when Paul says, 
uh, strive for this, walk in this, walk in humility. Well, that doesn't make any sense uh, to that culture. That was, that was a hard thing to see. And in fact, I, I would argue that in our culture, humility is, is, is turning, it's, it's falling out of fashion. I think that humility has been fashionable maybe for a couple of hundred years. Uh, I think that that's changing. I think we're living in a generation that is, that is doing away with humility uh, and, in, and instead, uh, you know, finding pride, self-confidence, self-promotion to be more of a virtue. Uh, I, I heard uh, a pastor by the name of Alistair Begg. He, he does a radio show. Maybe you've heard him. Uh, I, I, love, I love listening to him. Uh, he, was, he was speaking on this passage, and he, he recalls a story uh, of, of somebody that, that he heard uh, who was driving in his car, and in, on the radio they were rebroadcasting a, uh, a radio broadcast from VJ, or, or the, the day after VJ Day, right? So uh, victory over Japan, the World War II is, is coming to a close, and, uh, or, or, or has, has ended, and, and it's a time for, for great celebration, right? And, but in this radio broadcast, the day after VJ Day, there is uh, a, a somber tone. There's a, um, there's a sobriety with which the uh, broadcaster is speaking, right? And, and they're, they're talking about what is the greatest, largest military victory in all of human history, right? A, a war which engulfed the, the, the entire earth, more or less. Uh, and that has come to a close. And in celebrating that, there, there's this humble appreciation, this humble appreciation toward God even, that, that I, I mean, the, the, the tone, I guess, was, thank God this is over. And thank God we're here to see the end of it. Right? They're just this, like, humble sobriety about the end of the greatest military conflict in history. And then that man gets out of his car. He listens to the, the end of that historic broadcast, uh, finds it fascinating, gets out of his car, goes into his house, turns on a football game. And, and the, the, the quarterback tosses a short pass, the receiver catches it, gets a two-yard gain, right? Uh, having landed this two-yard gain, gets up, does this dance, celebrating this great achievement of, of gaining two yards. The camera lingers on this guy uh, as, as he does this ridiculous dance, like, look at me, look how great I am, look at what I accomplished. And the contrast between ending a world war Right and, and receiving that with humility and then gaining two yards in a football game and celebrating like you're the greatest gift uh, God has ever given to the, the world or something, it, it just was a stark contrast, right? This sermon that, that I listened to of Alistair Beggs was uh, several years ago, uh, and I just thought of the contrast just, you know, some years later, I, I think it was six or seven years ago, Think about today, how much further has this gone in that short amount of time? Think about social media right now and what gets celebrated, what gets self-promoted. Like, you know, we have this like humble receiving of the end of a world war. We have a, a victory dance over a two-yard gain. And then we have like selfies. Hey, just bought a pumpkin spice latte. Look at me. Right? Like, is that worth celebrating? It, like, I feel like we're maybe off a little bit. Uh, humility is, it's on the decline. Humility is not something, because humility is, is not, 
uh, it's not something we're going to see on social media, right? Like the, the algorithms of social media are going to promote, uh, you know, and, and this is where a lot of us spend a lot of time uh, on social media, you know, seeing what our friends are doing, all that kind of stuff. Well, what, what's, what's the most humble post you can, you can make on social media? It's not to make a post. That's the humble post, right? Not posting that you bought a pumpkin spice latte or not posting that you did something, right? Because by posting it, we're, we're showing it to the world. I'm not trying to indict anybody here, but I'm just saying, like, the most humble thing we can do is not post. Well, then that's not going to be seen, right? That's not a post that's going to be liked and shared because it's not a post that exists. But when we're self-promoting, when we're taking those pictures and showing all the awesome things we do, uh, th those things get likes and, and they get shares and it reaffirms us, right? So that behavior is rewarded. The humble behavior is, is penalized in the sense that it's not shared like nobody's patting us on the back for the things we do which are humble. And like with anything, right, like if you're training your kids, you try to reward certain behaviors, you try to penalize other behaviors to shape a person's character, to shape a person's, uh, uh, you know, attitude, to shape a person's um, behaviors. And as a culture, we have this, this great and grand experiment in which we are rewarding certain behaviors and penalizing others. And I think it's leading to, uh, you know, if not the death of humility, certainly a rapid decline. And so I, I say all of that to just say that our time right now, I think, is not that different from Paul's time, where humility was not celebrated as a virtue, but self-promotion, pride, uh, it, it, in your accomplishments, that sort of thing, that was celebrated, and, and humility was kind of a foreign concept. And, and you know, there, there's still a place for humility we still appreciate, right? How refreshing is it to talk to somebody who's humble that doesn't spend the entire time talking about themselves? Uh, I, uh, anyone who's talked to me uh, does not get that impression, right? I can talk about myself for a long time. Uh, I know that's a problem, right? But uh, it's refreshing when you talk to somebody who's humble and spends all their time asking about you and what you're doing and, and that sort of thing. It's, it's really nice. So it, I'm not going to say that we've fully rejected humility. I, I think we all appreciate it when we see it. Uh, but I, I don't think that it's increasing in our culture. I think it's decreasing. And so these are, you know, these are all complications to this call. These are all complications to this call that Paul has made as he's asking us uh, to, to be humble, to be gentle, to be patient, to be bearing with one another. Our pride gets in the way, our jealousies get in the way as we see things that other people have. We tend to be harsh uh, with one another uh, in, in, instead, of, instead of being patient. So uh, patience is sometimes tra uh, translated, and in some of your Bibles it may be translated as long-suffering. I think that's a great word for that, right? Uh, patience is is long-suffering, uh, that, that we would suffer long for someone is not something that comes naturally to us, I don't think. That we would suffer long. I, I think that this is something that goes contrary to our sinful nature, which, which lives inside of us. Uh, it, it, instead, we, we talk a lot about, uh, you know, the, the, the popular word right now in, in culture is, is triggered. Right? That's the opposite of being long-suffering, it's, it's being triggered. Well, that, that thing you said, that, that triggers me, right? That, that makes me angry really quickly. That, that really sets me off. That offends me. That's not politically correct. And, and just to be clear, like, I'm, I'm talking to both sides here, okay? There's, there's one side that uses the word triggered a lot, and then, and then there's another side, and, like, all you have to do is say a number, and a certain percentage of our society, some of you in this room, maybe included, can get really upset really quickly, 
All I have to do is say the number 114, right? And then some people get really upset, like, hey, now, easy, easy, back off. What are you going to say? We, instead of being long-suffering, suffering long with someone, uh, giving somebody the benefit of the doubt, assuming virtue, we assume the worst, right? Somebody says something and we, we jump to the worst conclusion. Well, then you must be uh, thinking this. You, you must assume this. We, we aren't doing a good job of being long-suffering. We aren't doing a good job of being patient with one another. We're not doing a great job. And again, I'm speaking more broadly as, as a culture, as a society. I think some of this applies to us even within this church. But uh, we don't do a good job of hearing people out, hearing out another side, another argument. These are things that don't come naturally to us. I think we fall short, too, in, in bearing with one another. I, I don't really have the time to go uh, down that path too, too far, but we tend to be a very individualistic culture. I'm not going to bear with someone else's problems. That's his problem, her problem to deal with. Uh, I've, I've got my own stuff to deal with. I'll, I'll bear with my things, you bear with your things, and bearing with one another is somewhat foreign. So that's, that's a lot of bad news. When we look at this passage and Paul tells us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling, it looks like the odds are stacked against us, and I would say that they are. And then comes the shift. Here comes the paradigm shift. Here comes the, the, the thing which turns it all on its head, and it's found there uh, at the end of verse 3. Uh, I'll, I'll read all of verse 3. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. In the bond of peace, that's where we start to see the answers. What, what is the bond of peace? What is this? Uh, somebody, and I, I wish I, I knew where I got this because uh, I'd give credit, but I'm going to rip it off anyway. Uh, it, it, it's found in four chords, and we find this earlier in Ephesians, but uh, the, the, the bond of peace, we are citizens together. So all who are Christians, all who call on Jesus' name, are citizens, citizens of heaven, citizens together. Uh, have you ever been traveling abroad? Have you ever been in another country or, or another state and you meet someone who is from that place that you're from? Instant kinship, right? Instant bond. And you go, oh, you're from there too, or, or oh, we know some of the same people or, or whatever. I love that experience. It's so great. We are anywhere you find Christians, you find people who are bonded as citizens of heaven. Uh, we are bonded as friends of Jesus, right? When, when you find somebody and you, you find you have a common friend, again, there's an instant bond there. We are all friends of Jesus. Anyone who would call Jesus Lord is a friend of Jesus, and that makes us, by extension, friends to one another. That's a, a, another uh, chord in this uh, bond of peace. We, we are brothers and sisters in Christ, right? He adopts us into the family. We, we are of the same household. I talked about this a few weeks ago. Right? And then the, the fourth strand or the fourth chord uh, is that we are members of the same body. And Paul's going to go on and talk more about that in Ephesians. Members of the same body. We all depend on one another to function and, and move and breathe and grow. This bond of peace is what allows us to be long-suffering with one another. This bond of peace is what allows us to be humble when dealing with one another. Not seeking our own uh, acknowledgement and, and approval. And how does God form these bonds? Well, of course, the answer is found in the cross, right? 
These bonds, these cords are formed for the believer at the cross. We see Jesus, who was the most humble of anyone ever, right? Being God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, right? But he humbles himself, humbles himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus, who is God, Jesus, who was present at creation, Jesus, who made and sustains all things, that Jesus became so low, was humiliated, right? So humble, comes so low to include us into his family. Jesus, and it's his humility which forms the bonds that hold us together. Form the bonds that allow us to grow in these areas. We, we have to first know Jesus, the most humble one, before we can grow in, in any of these areas. That's why I say it's, it's not just a matter of tips or tricks. It's a matter of who you know. We have to know Jesus. We have to know Jesus and we have to know him deeply. We have to understand what he has done for us. That, inform, that belief informs our behavior. Jesus was gentle and lowly, the, the word is, again, sometimes, sometimes it's translated as gentleness. Uh, in some of your Bibles, it's going to be translated as meekness. The idea here in, 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 in the Greek language, it's, it's, it's power under control. It's power under control, right? Like, a, like a, a, a domesticated horse or something. Like this is a powerful creature who can run and leap and, and uh, you know, could crush you if... Uh, if it wanted to, but, but it's power under control. You can go up and, and pet it. You can ride it, right? This is, this is uh, maybe a terrible example, but, but an example nonetheless. Uh, this, is, this is Jesus, tremendous power under control, right? At the moment he's hanging on the cross, he could call in a legion of angels to wipe everybody out, to take him off the cross. He didn't have to go through that, but he restrains his power Jesus was the most gentle because he had the most power and he showed the most restraint with that power. He put that power, that immense, unbelievable amount of power under such control that he allows himself to be killed on a cross for sinners, for the very people who were putting him there. Jesus was the most humble. He was the most gentle, the most meek. Not weak, but, but meek. Jesus is the most patient I think of my own journey, my own Christian walk, my own walk through life. Jesus has been very patient, very patient. Over and over and over, I have turned away. Over and over and over, I have failed. I have sinned. I have turned back to my former ways. And over and over and over, he suffers long with me. He suffers long for me to forgive me, to include me. Jesus is the most patient. All of humanity has sinned and rebelled against God since Genesis 3. From the very beginning, we started rebelling, and Jesus has been patient and patient and patient. He suffers long on the cross for our sake. It's his patience which forms this bond. And Jesus bears with us. Right? We have no greater friend than someone that would die for us. 
Jesus doesn't just bear with us. He bears our sins to the cross. Jesus bears our sins to the cross. So we look at Jesus and, and, and we look at the cross and we look at what God has done that forms this bond of peace through which now God gets to work. God, the Holy Spirit, gets to work in us and through us and he starts now producing what Paul is calling us to. Ultimately, this is, this is the Spirit working out through us, right? In, in Galatians, uh, when we looked at that um, last year, uh, Galatians uh, chapter 5, I, I think, talk, talks about the, the, the fruit of the Spirit, right? This is the Spirit producing fruit in us. That, uh, and and that, that list kind of overlaps with this list. God is working out what he's calling us to as the Spirit indwells in us and, and, and kind of calls us out of darkness into his glorious light. God is doing an incredible thing for us because of the cross, because of what Jesus did, so that we could have the Spirit. Now, I've, I've said this before, I want to repeat this. What we believe informs how we behave. That's why Paul started with three chapters of doctrine. We need to know Jesus. We need to believe on him. We need to understand the gospel before we can make any of these changes in our lives, right? Anything, and we can try to white knuckle it and we can try to be better people, right? And we can count to 10 and, and all those things. None of that is going to be lasting. None of that is going to be real or genuine unless it comes from a heart-changing belief in the one who is humble, the one who is patient, the one who is gentle, um, I, I would point out too here, as, as he talks about this unity within uh, the church, unity within, uh, you know, he, he calls it the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Uh, Paul speaks of maintaining it. I just think this is kind of a, a footnote worth, worth mentioning. This is not something that, that comes to us incomplete. Unity comes to us complete, right? It, it comes to us uh, full and, 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 um, and ready to go. And then it's our job to maintain that unity, right? God, God creates unity when he saves people of all walks of life, people from all kinds of backgrounds. Uh, when, when, when all of those people believe in Jesus, come together, there's perfect unity. And then it's our job to maintain this, like you would maintain a, a car, right? The car arrives ready to go. It arrives in, in good shape, uh, new off the lot. And then we need to do these things to maintain it. That's uh, essentially what Paul is calling us to here. Uh, I, I would also point out that unity is, is not uniformity. Uh, I, I have a quote from, from Charles Spurgeon here. Uh, let me just, just read this. Again, you will observe it does not say endeavoring to keep the uniformity of the Spirit. The Spirit does not recognize uniformity. The analogy of his work in nature is against it. The flowers are not all tinted with the same hue, nor do they exhale the same colors. There is variety everywhere in the work of God, right? We can look in nature around us and see that God, uh, God builds, he creates variety. There's tremendous variety in nature all around us. If I glance at providence, I do not perceive that any two events happen after the same form. The page of history is varied. Throughout history, things happen differently. If, therefore, I look into the church of God, I do not expect to find that all Christians pronounce the same slogans or see with the same eyes, the same one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, 
and one father of all, we rejoice to recognize. But as to uniformity of dress, liturgical verbiage, form of worship, I find nothing of it in Scripture. What Spurgeon there is saying is that we, we, we should not confuse unity with uniformity. We should not all look the same within this church. And Paul's going to go on, and, and we're going to get into to details on this later in the book as well. He's going to go on to talk about different parts of the body having different forms and functions. We need to all be doing different things. We need to look different. We need to worship different. That's all good. God's not calling us to uniformity. And I think it's been mistaken sometimes that, well, all Christians look a certain way and, and act a certain way. Uh, there, there is a unity, but it's not uniformity. There's, there's tremendous room for variety within the family of God, within the church of God, and even within different uh, different churches, right? There are many churches around us that preach the Bible. Who would say, <coughs> pardon me, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father of all. If we can agree on those things, then we're good. We can be, uh, we can be united with those churches. Now, there are, there are groups out there that claim to be churches who would deny some or all of these things. We're not called to unity with that. We're not called to sacrifice sound doctrine for the sake of unity. Unity is, is not the end-all, be-all. But if we can agree on these core values, if, if we can agree on these core pieces of doctrine, these core beliefs about who God is and what he's done for us, then by all means, let's, let's have unity together, right? Let's be united as we preach the gospel to a broken world around us. Now, with, with this unity uh, of the Spirit, with God working in us, we can start to, to grow. And I'll say just in, in the last couple of minutes here, th this is how this works out. As we are humbled by Jesus, we can be humble toward each other, right? We didn't earn our salvation. There's nothing in us that makes us, uh, you know, acceptable to God apart from what Jesus has done for us. 1 Corinthians 4, 7 says, for who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Right? If our salvation is given to us as a gift, what do I have to boast in? How can I be proud? How can I be, uh, you know, uh, self-promoting? Self God has done all of it. Jesus, the humble one, humbles us. And now as we interact with one another... We can, we can grow in humility. We can grow in, in uh, being humble toward each other. Once we see and we look at Jesus and we see what he did for us, we've received God's gentle touch, right? His power, under control, restrained. Because we've received God's gentle touch, we can be gentle with one another. God has been patient with us so we can be patient with one another. All I have to do is think about how frequently I have grieved my Savior. How frequently have I turned away from what he would have for me and turned toward something else. I mean, I am just so screwed up. I hope you guys know that. Like, why is he on stage? I don't know. Uh, I raised my hand at the wrong time. No, listen, uh, I, I, like, I am so messed up and God has been so patient with me. And then I can be patient. I can be long-suffering with someone else, with my wife, with my kids, 
right? When they continue to make mistakes, when my kids continue to make mistakes, my employees, when they continue to make mistakes, all I have to do is think, have they yet exceeded the number of times I have grieved God? No. Then I think we're okay, right? All of the forgiveness I have to extend, all of the patience I have to extend in my life added together is but a drop in the bucket of the patience God has shown toward me. And, and so there's no room left for, uh, for any impatience. I, I need only to look at Christ and, and how he's been patient with me. And when I look at how he has bore my sins, how he has borne our sins, our offenses toward God, to the cross, now we can bear with one another in love. Right? We can bear with one another. We can endure things together because we look at how he bore our sin. We look at how he bore uh, so much for us. We're going to go to a time of communion. Let, let me pray, and then we will uh, take communion together. Father God, I am so grateful that, that you call us to something which you have first extended to us. You call us to something that, that you have shown us through, through the person and work of Jesus. God, you call us uh, not to something that you haven't first led in. And God, I'm so grateful for that. I pray, Lord, that, that as we struggle to be humble and gentle, as we struggle to be patient and bear with one another, as we struggle for unity, Remind us of the cross. Remind us of what you've done. Remind us of how you have gone before us in all of these things. And God, would that, would that be the motivation behind our heart level change? Would that be the motivation behind uh, real and lasting growth? as we become daily more and more like Christ, putting off the old self, putting on what you have called us to, what you have provided for us, putting on what you have enabled us to be. Thank you, God. Uh, community is available up front.